Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. And we're picking back up with part two of our interview with Mitzi Perdue, author, speaker, TV host, the widow of chicken magnate Frank Perdue, the past president of American Agrowomen, the founder of Sarah's Farms Real Estate Investment Company, and the founder of the nonprofit organization WTF, which also means win this fight, which raises money to fight human trafficking. Oh, and her trucker handle is Peach Blossom. Welcome back to the show, Mitzi. What a joy to be back with you. I sure enjoyed last week's. Mitzi, I often ask women questions about the challenges they faced about women in their industries and what they have done to overcome those hurdles. And you talked a little bit about that in our last episode when you talked about being a rice farmer and what you had to do to to lobby the legislature about the issues you were dealing with and how that won you favor in the industry. But I think you're coming also from a different angle. As a well-known person in your business communities and as the wife of Frank Perdue, did you have an easier time or a harder time getting taken seriously in business? Oh, such a good question. Uh, And you know, there there are various members of the Perdue family that, that wrestle with exactly that. The answer that they give and that I'll give is it's a huge advantage and it's a terrible, something that holds you back. In the end, I think that it's a wash. For a good bit of my career, I actually tried very hard to have career choices where my background would not help me. Like, for example, I became a syndicated columnist. Uh, I wrote in the environment. And I chose that in part, you know, because it interested me and I cared, but in part because I could know that any success I had as a writer, mm-hmm. uh, it was not because of who daddy was. It was because, I mean, I hoped that that I was doing a competent job. My, my column went to 420 newspapers and I became the most widely syndicated environmental writer. Have, having a famous and wealthy father made no difference whatsoever because a newspaper isn't going to pick up my column unless they like it. And for television, it was kind of the same thing. I got into television in the, in the oddest way. That was my next question. How did, how did you, how did, how did you get Well, I mentioned last week that I'd written a magazine article that saved the rice growers from being put out of business by a senator who wanted to ban agricultural burning and that was during a period when if you didn't burn your rice fields after the harvest, that I'll get this terrible disease called stem rot. Well, because of what I wrote, it was for me an amazing experience. But first, the the guy carrying the legislation withdrew it. But second, I became talked about on a whole lot of like talk shows. And I've got to tell you, it's one of the weirdest experiences in the world to be driving along. You turn the radio on and, oh, my gosh, they're, they're talking about my article and me. Uh, well, so suddenly I was getting a certain amount of almost celebrity, which I was not used to. And the local TV station asked if I would like to be on the farm show just to, uh, to talk about it. 
And, you know, how did it happen that a lady rice grower got into rice growing and then got into agricultural politics? Well, this was a period in my life where I was so shy that it was genuinely hard for me to use the telephone. I had picked rice growing in part, I suppose, because I didn't have to interact with people and and my just paralyzing shyness, it didn't matter because growing rice was a a somewhat lonely enterprise. I mean, I might interact with 10 or 20 people, but I wasn't interacting with tens of thousands. Well, so I'm invited to be on this TV show. And for somebody who was almost too shy to use the telephone and couldn't have imagined walking into a room with a bunch of strangers, being on television was about as scary as it gets. But at that point, there was a group called the Business and Professional Women's Club. And they had lessons on public speaking. And I'd been in the middle of taking that course, trying to get over my phobia of public speaking. I go on the set of Focus on Farming, you know, almost too scared to to breathe. And then there's a little red tally light that comes on. Well, it's a, a red light and it's called the tally light on a camera. And it tells you in the studio if a camera is facing you and that red light lights up. It says that you're going out and tens of thousands of people are watching. And I was expecting to faint. But instead, the most shocking thing that ever happened to me in my entire life, I discovered that I liked it. I found the words came easily. I knew my subject inside and out. I wanted to communicate with people things that I thought would be really valuable to them to know. And, okay, the most amazing thing to me was that... (laughs) I I found there was this other side of me that loved being on camera. That was the first most startling thing. The second most startling thing was the station manager had caught the show and he said, would you like a job in television? (laughs) So I went in, in a matter of days from being too shy to use the telephone to being a TV hostess. It's amazing. And, And what years was that? Uh, that would have been 1980. 1980, okay. And you had how many? Um, I, wait, I, I may be wrong. Maybe it's 1979. How about 1980-ish? Yeah. It wasn't later than 1980, and it, it, it could have been 78. January is Human Trafficking Month, and at this point in your life and career, Mitzi, you've dedicated much of your efforts toward fighting human trafficking. We know this is a global issue, mostly affecting girls and women. Will you talk to us a little bit about the issue? Yeah, I'll talk about how I got involved. And I'm going to bet a lot of people who are listening to us right now might be in the same situation I was in a couple of years ago, where I'd heard the term human trafficking, but it just didn't mean a lot to me because, well, because it it was just kind of like words. But two years ago, I heard a lecture that included videos. And this was a lecture about a guy, his name's Paul Hutchinson, and he goes around rescuing girls, and and I suppose he rescues boys as well, but in this particular case, it was talking about a sting operation where he managed to rescue, I'm going to guess, a dozen girls. But because it was a sting operation, he was actually filming the girls before they were rescued, and I got to see these little girls, I mean, 10, 12, maybe 14, and they didn't know they were going to be rescued. They just knew that they were being herded into a group of, they thought, older men who were going to rape them. And I I could see in their faces 
just the frozen look of fear and terror and depression. It was just, you know, I couldn't unsee it. And well, the story has a happy ending because Paul Richardson, or Hutchinson rather, rescued all of them. But I was so like shaken by the amount of suffering you could see on the faces of the little girls. And I began learning more about it, that these little girls would be raped 10, 12, 15 times a night, 365 days a year. And their, their life expectancy was less than seven years. They were going to die of overdose, suicide, disease, or murdered for their organs. And I thought, yo, something more atrocious, more evil, more horrible doesn't exist. And then I began learning that according to the United Nations, more than 40 million people are in human slavery today. And a million of those are children who are being sex trafficked. And I thought I couldn't unsee this. I couldn't unlearn this. And I felt that at my age and at that age, let's see, two years ago, I was 78. At that point, I wanted to dedicate my, the rest of my life to doing anything I possibly could to help combat this, this just the worst scourge that exists on earth. And at that point, I sort of have a question which I could imagine a lot of people listening to us right now might have in their minds, and that is, how can I help? What can I do? And what I learned and what I recommend to everybody is look up on the internet, find anti-trafficking organizations near you or that, that capture your heart. And there's several approaches to it. Some is prevention, some is rescue, and some is rehabilitation or recovery. And what I've done is I figured out a way of raising a lot of money for other anti-trafficking organizations. And one that's going on right now is Rosie the Liberator. You've heard of Rosie the Riveter? Well, Rosie the Liberator is a 21st century version of that. I'm asking people to take a selfie in which they kind of turn sideways to the camera. They make a fist and they look and they make a muscle and then put that on social media and this is a challenge. Put this on social media, hashtag win this fight, and donate $5 to the anti-trafficking organization of your choice and invite two other people to do the same thing. And I bet by now it's tens of thousands of dollars that have gone to anti-trafficking organizations. And you know, that's just extremely satisfying to me to know that, that it's raising awareness and it's raising funds. And for people who are used to texting, I'm going to give a, it's, it's called a short code. And that's what you type in, say you're, you're, you're starting a new message. And you know where it has two? Well, if you text 51555 or 51555, if you text that, those numbers, and then under the message part, you type in WTF and press send. In a matter of seconds, you'll get back a link to my website, and it's called winthisfight.org. I would love it if you'd upload any photographs that you have of Rosie the Liberator, or if it's a guy, Rusty the Liberator. <laughs> we're going to do this. So we're going to put post this in the Hazard Girls group on Facebook, and we are all in on this. Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased because it, it truly makes a difference. But if you, if you don't already have an anti-trafficking organization you'd like to donate to, 
send me five dollars and and please do it because you know it's it's the more people who we have I'd like you also to volunteer to help and whatever your skill set is I will do my absolute best to match your interests and passions and what you'd enjoy doing and you know the the number of ways you can help is I think it's in the thousands I'll find you work where it can be you know maybe it's five minutes a week or maybe it's full time I can find you ways that you'll find satisfying and important for combating this horrible atrocity. And I'll tell you what you'll find if you do volunteer. And I know this because I talk with people who are volunteering, that the amount of difference that they can make in people's lives is so huge. I'm not sure that that there are many other things you can do that would impact people so positively. And the people who do volunteer, they, they get the joy of being certain that they're helping combat the worst evil that there is. And I I have a theory that the end of your life, your life is measured not by what you could get, but by what you can give. And here's a way that's tailored for you, where you'll be celebrated and appreciated for what you do, and you'll get to hang out with people who are wonderful. So text WTF to 51555. And sign up, sign up for my blog. You'll, you'll find out fascinating things such as, why do people do this? What, who are these monsters who are raping children? What's it like? What's going on in the minds of the people who are being trafficked? Um, I talk with psychologists and psychiatrists who treat people. I'll give you insights into this, and I'll give you hope of things that can change that I think you'll be really, really, really glad you did. Mitzi, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to be on the Hazard Girls podcast. You've got a wealth of knowledge to share, not only from growing up in the Sheraton Hotel family and marrying into the Purdue Chicken family. You've been an inspirational leader in your own right as a rice grower, agricultural real estate developer, TV personality, author, and the list goes on. And we also really want to thank you for all of the wonderful work you are doing to fight human trafficking. Listeners, if you want to get involved, please go to winthisfight.org. You can also text WTF to 51555. That's text WTF to 51555 for more information. And don't forget to take a selfie doing the Rosie pose and participate in Mitzi's Rosie the Liberator campaign. Mitzi and I both did it, and so should you. And listeners, in case you missed part one of this episode, we played it last week, so please be sure to check it out to hear all about how Mitzi met Frank Perdue and how she delved into rice-growing politics. It's fascinating stuff. Well, thank you, Mitzi. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.